Well, hey, everybody, you're here with I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, First of all, I can't believe it's 2023. We've got a lot going on personally. You know, I, I like, you know, all the good thoughts, all the prayers you can give me. My oldest daughter is getting married next month. Uh, I have no money. So, you know, anybody wants to donate, I'm real happy to accept that. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, fortunately, love our new uh, soon to be uh, son-in-law. So life is going to be good. Uh, but uh, anyway, first podcast of the year. Uh, so excited. have my good friend, Amanda Brummett. She is the co-founder, the founder, the president, the queen. She takes out the trash. She does everything at the Brummett Group in Austin. Amanda, great to see you again. Welcome to I Don't Care. You too, Kevin. And I'm going to need to hear all your tips on this wedding because I have daughters that are 20 and 22. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the first tip is push it out until they're 31 like I did. So that's right there. It gives you, it'll probably give you about 10 more years to save up for it. Trust me. The first tip is whatever budget you give them, go ahead and double it because it's going to happen. Yeah. I've already found that out. So good luck. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, first of all, tell me a little bit about the Brummett group. Yeah, sure. And, and I love your, your intro that I am the CEO, but I also take out the trash because <laughs> like, um, you know, any small company, uh, we're all hands on deck all the time. So, um, the Brummett group's a small consulting company. We, um, have been in business almost 15 years and we focus on strategy operations and patient experience. Functionally, a lot of times that turns into marketing and business development because people are always looking for ways to increase revenue, increase margins. Um, But I have a background in operations, and so I'm happy to go do an advertising campaign, but I want to start at the beginning and back into why do we need to grow? What are our goals? What are our metrics? And um, so we look at everything very operationally. That's great. Now, do you work... uh... In all all aspects of healthcare, do you do anything outside of healthcare? So we don't do anything outside of healthcare. Um, no. We know what we're good at, and we know what we're not, and healthcare no. is what we're good at. Um, you might find might find us every now and then volunteering on a political campaign or something like that, but but generally all healthcare. And when we work across um, all aspects, we do a lot of work for ASCs, hospitals, physician groups. But we also work for device companies, pharmacies, infusion centers, long-term care centers. You know, as long as it exists in that healthcare space, we have patients and it's all sort of the same. Well, very good. Well, you mentioned volunteering and I would be remiss if I didn't congratulate you on your latest award as Volunteer of the Year for my old chapter of ACHE in North Texas. That's, that's a with the number of people they have up there and the great number of volunteers to be named Volunteer of the Year, wow, that's pretty special. Thank you, Kevin. I definitely appreciate that and um, have enjoyed getting to volunteer with you both in North Texas and in Central Texas. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, I think uh, I think you and I are kind of, how would I say this, bi-chapteral? Uh, because I still have yes. a little bit of a foot in North Texas, even though I've been gone for three years. Let's see. We also have a love of something else. We, you and I were talking before we started the recording about uh, mentorship. Uh, you know, talk about kind of your philosophy on that, because Lord knows my uh, my viewers have heard all my uh, my philosophies on uh, on mentorship. 
Sure. And good timing because January is mentoring month, I believe. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I definitely believe in giving back. And honestly, for me, I never had a, a formal mentor. We never actually called each other mentors, but um, I had several healthcare leaders early on in my career and you'll know them. Britt Barrett is one of them. Um, Doug Welch, one of them that um, they were my bosses and they they were engaged and they were active. They gave me permission to fail. They pushed me. And again, even though nobody, nobody called them my mentor, they were um, and really grew me as a young executive. So then when the tables turned and I was in their shoes, I felt not only an obligation, but like it was something that that next generation of, of healthcare leaders needed. And so, um, so I formally mentored four people through ACHE. And then the older I get, um, I learned that I've been a mentor to other people along the way, which is always, you know, flattering. And um, I I love that. And I'm sure this has happened with you because I know you've done a lot of mentoring as well, but it's super fun at this point in my career. I'm now watching people I mentored well surpass me. And it's so fun to watch them get the big job. Um, So yeah, I think everybody, everybody should do it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and I, for me, I think that's one of the, the most enjoyable things that I do, uh, you know, in, in, in my role here uh, and in my voluntary uh, roles, too. Uh, I, I oversee our administrative residency program here at my hospital. And so every year I have a, a new young mold to my uh, mind to mold. I usually mold their mind, too. But uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so it's kind of great too that I get to tell the same old stories every year, and and, and they're new to somebody. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's something that you know. Same thing with you. You know, back in the day, and and I'm much older than you. Uh, but whenever I started my career, I didn't think of these people as mentors. They were, you know, they were bosses, they were friends, they were colleagues, and you know, they just had a little bit more experience than me, and they were willing to share that, and so. Kind of like you, uh, that's that's what I try to do as well. And uh, and it's great to see um, people who you have mentored, you know, get that first job, number one. That's the that's the really exciting one for me right now with residents. But as you said, some of my older mentees, yeah, they're they're they've blown past me and good for them. And and, and I'll take uh, just a, a small part of their success. Uh, take a little credit for that. But well, hey, let's talk about uh about uh, what we talked about uh, uh, today around customer service, patient experience, patient satisfaction. You know, you did a lot of work in that. So, and there's a lot of different philosophies and ways to go about that. So I look forward to hearing, you know, how do you approach that when you're, uh, when you're uh, asked to, to help a client? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I would say, Personally, we all know that customer service is the right thing to do. Um, patients that are in our outpatient clinics and imaging centers and offices, they don't want to be there. Um, none of us do anything fun, um, you know, unless you're a plastic surgeon or something like that. Nobody <laughs> wants to come to you. So just as a baseline human thing, I think that we should be nice for them, not to mention that they are literally paying us to be nice to them. But my own clear personal feelings aside about being kind to people. Um, I think it's the right thing to do for business. And, you know, here's my, my take on it is we all work in uber competitive markets. Waco's competitive. Austin's competitive. Dallas is competitive. 
customer service isn't really a choice. People talk, people share their healthcare experiences. And I don't know a health system or a physician clinic out there that isn't either trying to grow, increase margins, increase revenue, make the same amount of money doing less work. There's Everybody's trying to do that. And just as a real baseline, I think being good to our patients is vital. I think it's easier to keep existing patients happy than it is to acquire new patients. You know, um, 20 years ago, if I showed up at, at Ascension and I had a baby and I had an amazing experience, two years later, when my kiddo needed tubes, I'd want to go back to Ascension. And 10 years later, when you know, my husband blew out his knee, I'd want to go to Ascension. Conversely, if I had a bad experience in labor and delivery, I'm never going back to that place. They're, they're very visceral feelings that stick in patients' minds. And are there going to be times when things go wrong and we can't control it? Absolutely. But there's so many things that we can control. And this is where I would say to office managers, administrators, physicians, anybody that has the ability to craft their patient experience, step outside your office, um, go and if, if you're somebody, you know, that's recognizable, throw on a ball cap and glasses, get out of the building and walk in your front door. What does that look like? Are there six signs that tell me my HIPAA rights and what happens if I don't pay my bill? Um, is, is there a window? And is that window shut? Oh, Kevin, mm-hmm. I hate the window. I totally agree with you. I hate the window. Um, is it easy to park? call your office, call your facility, try to schedule a mammogram and see what happens. Um, is it a, is it a quick experience or do you get transferred seven times and just see what it feels like? My guess is you're not going to like what you see. Um, I truly believe that at least on the outpatient side, we should be aiming for a spa-like experience. And, and I don't mean that you've got to have essential oils and that you have to have expensive furniture and things like that. But what I do well, mean is... Music. Yeah, you got to have that no. mood music. <laughs> but what I do mean is when, when I hit that door, I don't want there to be a window. I want it to be open. And I want the person to look at me, make eye contact, and smile. That doesn't cost anything. That's actually free. All of that is free. Um, I don't want to hear a TV cranking the five o'clock news because the news is never feel good. Um, maybe we have Joanna Gaines on the TV or maybe we have, maybe we have nothing on the TV. I want to walk in and I want to feel like I'm welcome there. One of my big things, especially in the lobby is say I'm the last patient of the day and say your last patient of the day just happens to be female and just happens to be my age. Now, HIPAA is a big deal. We've got to protect patient privacy, but we can also use some common sense. If it's 420 and the last patient of your day is a woman in my age group and I walk in, it's okay to say, hi, are you Amanda? There's a lot of Amandas in this world. You're not going to violate anybody's privacy by that. Use some common sense instead of, you know, getting up to the window and going, from it, mm-hmm. there's, there's one person in the lobby. What's, what's right. happening? <laughs> yeah. Right. So these kind of things are, are free. Um, and then I, I would, I would plant the seed of a word and, and I didn't come up with this. Um, I have seen it several times since I heard it, but Jay Patel, he's a, a pharmacist that, um, is the founder of Avira health. He uh-huh. says that he's looking to create a frictionless patient experience. Yeah. 
Listen to that again. Frictionless. Right. Uh So if I come to your hospital or I come to your clinic, there is no point of friction. When I call to schedule the appointment, it's easy. When I show up, you've got all the right information. You don't ask me for information twice. Um, You've pre-authorized things if that needs to happen. You know how much money I owe you. Um, They go a step further and, um, you know, so he runs an infusion center and their pharmacists are on site. And so they do a lot of patient education while the person's getting their infusion. The pharmacist comes out and does their patient education. That way they don't have to come back and do it again. Yeah. Um, So really looking at that entire experience and then even on the billing side, if I have a great experience at your facility, but then I get a crazy bill that I don't understand that doesn't match my EOB. Now hellfire will rain down because I am so angry and I'm probably just scared, but those numbers are scary. Um, so making sure that then call your billing office, call your billing office and ask a really annoying long question and see if the person on the other end says, well, Mr. Stevenson, let me see if I can help you. Or if they say, hold, please, um, you know, it's, it's kind of simple, but it's also complicated because pulling yourself out of that administrator role and seeing what your patients experience, um, it, it, it can be hard taking that first step, but man, once people do, then they're all over it. Yeah. Well, and you bring up something really good there, Amanda, because it starts at the top. Yeah. If you're in a physician clinic, it starts with that, that senior physician, the managing, the managing partner, whomever, uh, same thing in a hospital it starts with the president CEO. You know, you've got to have that expectation of customer service, patient satisfaction, um, you know, just a welcoming environment. And so, and, and I hate to say it, oftentimes that's rare, you know, that uh, because it's being pushed down to somebody else and, and that uh, that physician doesn't take the time to call the billing office. They don't take the time to, you know, observe in the lobby. You know, they're trying to see patients. I get that. But taking the time, as you said, basically secret shopping your own clinic. Uh, is is huge because, you know, you're going to ask your staff and they're going to tell you what you want to hear. You need to see it for yourself. Absolutely. And and I think you bring up a brilliant point there is that the, the leaders, um, how they both interact with patients, but also how they interact with the staff really sets the tone for that. If, you know, I'm the physician and I'm rough on my staff, harsh with my staff, they're going to treat the patients that way. But if I treat them with respect and they see me treating patients really kindly, they're going to emulate that. And the same in our hospitals. You know, back when I was a hospital executive, I used to volunteer to round on the weekends. I rounded on holidays. When there was a snowstorm coming, I would volunteer to go play unit secretary. And you know why? Because if I took care of them, then they took care of me. They took care of our patients. When we had a need, they would do it. Um, and so I think that's something we can totally control as leaders um, and that we can and that we, we really should do. Um, and I also think that that just let um, modeling it for your staff, you know, um, none of us, none of us like complaints, but when you get a patient complaint, address it kindly, openly in a way where you want to learn. And 
I mean, we've all, all worked in healthcare long enough. There are some people out there that you're never going to make happy. You're just not. They're, they're looking for a discount or they're looking for a reason to sue you or they're just cranky. There are those people. But the majority of them, we can make happy. And so if you consistently get feedback from patients that the front desk is rude, they're probably rude. If you consistently get feedback that, you know, the wait time in imaging is an hour, it probably is. So let's look at those people as unpaid consultants and let's not hire an Amanda. And instead, let's just go fix that wait time. (laughs) Hey, okay. So, so now it's story time. Okay. I want to hear a good story about one of your most difficult clients, Dr. X, let's call them. I, I would love to hear how you dealt with them. Somebody that probably didn't treat their staff very well, but expected them to treat their patients well. I, I, I want to hear this. Um, okay. So it is a, I'm trying to think how I can describe them without them being identified. <laughs> exactly. Um, An old client. Lo- a large multi-specialty practice, um, excellent clinicians, um, probably overworked, probably see more patients a day than they have time to. Um, these their, their PCPs would see about 40 patients a day, which whew, I don't know how they do it, but they did it. Yeah. yeah. So we were brought in to evaluate their call center because the call center was drowning. There were dropped calls. Patients were mad. People couldn't get through. And so we were brought in. And, and I always go in with an open mind. I collect as much data as I can up front. But you never know until you get in there and lay eyes on things. So me and three other team members, we went and sat in this huge call center. And we just listened for three days. Listened to all the calls coming in. Watched the employees. And, and I'll be honest with you, Kevin, even though we hadn't prejudged the situation, the general feeling in the practice was that they were not working very hard. Man, I get in there and I find out that there's about 40 providers in the group, that every provider has an individualized algorithm for how to schedule their patients. So um, Dr. Stevenson only sees new Medicare patients on Mondays and Wednesdays, but Dr. Jones sees new Medicare patients on Tuesdays and Fridays, and you can plug them in at noon, but if you put one at noon, you can't put one at 1230. And there was a lot of thought that went into it, but we're talking about people that made $12 an hour, had to keep up with algorithms for 40 different people while a patient's on the phone. Um, so we, again, we spent three days listening, and by the end of it, it was blatantly clear. You didn't need all the experience that you and I have to tell them you're asking an unreasonable task. Um, So we went back to that clinic and it was really, really, really hard for them to accept it, but that nobody needed to be fired. Nobody needed any retraining. That the doctors all had to come together and come up with one algorithm for their scheduling. Sure. I I will tell you, in full honesty, I sort of lost the battle. And for a moment, I went to their own MAs doing their scheduling. That lasted about a month. I was going to (laughs) say. And then they went back and came up with a solution. Um, But that one was really hard because literally the person that was paying me, my solution was more work for them. Um, You know, it's a lot easier if I can come in and go, oh, yeah, Sue's not friendly. We should move her to. H-I-M. Oh, yeah. She's not made to be on the phones. And and for the record, I think most people 
can be moved somewhere else. I have almost never recommended somebody be terminated. It's usually, let's move them out of direct patient interaction. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, I remember, and I'm about to date myself because years ago, um, had the opportunity to go spend a day and a half with Quint Studer down in Pensacola. Free Studer. Free Studer group. This was when he was still inviting hospital execs oh, down. Wow. And so three or four of us went down from my hospital in Nebraska. And you're talking about the stories uh, of that. He he told the story, in, you know, in true Quint fashion. And, and those of you who are listening to the podcast, if you don't know who Quint Studer is, you need to go look him up because he's a healthcare icon, but he's just a customer service guru, period. Uh, But back in the day, whenever he went down there, uh, he's gonna start on a Monday. Of course, Quint goes on Sunday before anybody sees him and he's walking through. And so uh, Monday morning has uh, his uh, executive team uh, meeting at probably, knowing Quint, probably seven o'clock. And uh, he said, by the way, I was here yesterday. And he said, yeah, the panic look on their faces, you know, uh, of course. And he said, you know, uh, everybody was pretty uh, was pretty good. He said, tell me about Mary downstairs. And they said, oh, Mary's been with us 20 years. And he said, you know, she's not very friendly. He said, well, that's just Mary. He goes, well, he said, we're going to have to move Mary on. And, you know, you talk about not really you know, wanting to terminate anybody, but Quint was coming into an environment where they were in the bottom percentile of Prescani scores. So he had to make some drastic changes very quickly. And so by setting that stage and that expectation up front, he said, I literally only had about 20 people that left because everybody recognized my, you know, my expectation from the from the get go. And so poor Mary, but it made a point. And so I think that, you know, that's something, and and I totally agree with you. Sometimes people are just in the wrong role. And if they're not patient facing, but they're, you know, good, uh, you know, a good coder or good whatever, that's great. Do that. Hey, let's talk about another topic that can really get people's hackles up. And that's scripting. Yeah. Right. Don't you get a lot of pushback when you say, oh, we need to script that. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy. Nobody likes it. It feels cookie cutter. It feels fake, blah, blah, blah. Um, It's a good tool. It's a simple tool. It's an inexpensive tool. Um, You know, kind of my overcoming people's objections on it is, okay, cool. You don't want me to write a script? Well, let's write one together. Or you write one. Or, okay, great. If you already have all the right words, then let's just put them on paper so that we can roll them out to other people. Um, I also, whenever we do secret shopping and I recommend anybody that secret shops and stuff does this record the phone calls, it is mortifying myself included to hear what you say to other people on the phone. Yeah. Um, everything from, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just all the weird little inaudible noises we make. Um, but I can't tell you how many people I have played back in a, okay, let's listen to this. And they just, they're, they're mortified that they were so rude to a patient or so short with a patient. And um, so I think doing that helps them with the script. And then also what I always tell people is this, the script is a, it's a jumping off point. 
um, especially let's say you're new to a call center or you're new to a front desk position in a hospital, let's start with a script. And once you have your own magic style, let's leave the script. And as long as your scores look good and patients aren't complaining, you can say whatever you want to say. Um, because some of it's very personal. Like I grew up in East Texas, so I like yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Some people find ma'am and sir to be patronizing. So like everybody needs to find their own way that they're comfortable. Um, and, and yeah, if you can do better than it, absolutely go for it. Um, but I've yet to find an alternative better than scripting. And, and to be honest with you, we use it in our own business. We, a lot of times we'll do like outreach work for people. And I always start with a script because it just makes it easier. Um, one of the other things I'll do when people have a new script that they're using, and this is from a million years ago when I was a physician recruiter, before we had much of the internet and you actually had to smile and dial all day long. Yeah. Yeah. We would, um, with the new recruiters, we'd put a mirror in front of the phone because if you're smiling, it's very hard not to be friendly. Right. Um, so we'll do that sometimes with people that are real heavy on the phones all day. And it's it's silly, it's hokey, but it works. Very good. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Amanda. Any topics that are that you'd like to touch on before we go today? Um, yeah, I think two two other things that I really want to make sure we talk about is, one, I'm all about process improvement. And I think a lot of times when we look at our processes, Sometimes we start with what's good for the patient, but by the time we get to the end of the process, we have done so many things to change it, manipulate it, and improve it that we sort of forget that it was all for the patient. So when we get to the end of redesigning processes, I think we need to go back to the beginning and look at it through that patient's lens and how does it feel to park here? How does it feel to walk up to this desk? How far am I asking somebody to go for an outpatient you know, x-ray of a knee? Um, just really walking through that process. Um, for them. And then the sec the last one is really meeting patients where they are. So I am a geriatric millennial. So I text limited, um, but I don't like phone calls and I do like in person. So drives me nuts if I get a text from my doctor's office that says, Hey, this is Dr. So and so's office. Please call us to reschedule. Oh. What? You texted me to tell right. me to call you. I see this happen at least once a month. So meet patients where they are. If patients, if you're going to use texting, let them make it a two-way text. If mm -hmm. you're not capable of doing that, don't text them. If you have a patient portal, use it. Let people message you through it. If you're going to use the telephone, answer it. Return phone calls in a reasonable manner. Um, if you're going to use email, don't just have them outbound communications. Let patients respond because getting back to that frictionless patient experience, we want to meet patients where they are and communicate with them in a way they want to communicate with us. So that's my that's my big nitpicky thing here lately. Yeah, I love that. And I totally agree with you. Geriatric millennial. Huh. I don't think I can use that, but I like that term. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so Amanda, hey, how, how do my listeners get a hold of you uh, for more information about the Brummett Group? 
Well, I already admitted I don't like to talk on the phone, but they can call me. <laughs> we can text you. Is that what you're saying? Because <laughs> I meet my customers where they are. Okay. <laughs> um, our website is brummettgroup.com. That's two M's and two T's. And um, our phone number is 214-295-6130. I'm happy to chat with anybody. And I love to strategize and brainstorm. So if anybody wants to do a curbside consult on customer service, we can absolutely chat. No charge. Um, you don't have to hire me just to, just to talk about patient experience. Well, that sounds great. Amanda, it's been a blast. It's good to see you again. Uh, we need to catch up over, uh, over coffee sometime. You know, when we're when we're going back and forth between, you know, Austin and Dallas, you know, Waco's halfway. So, you know, you can stop here. Uh, but anyway, absolutely. Amanda Brummett, principal of the Brummett Group. Thanks so much for being with me on I Don't Care today. And uh, listeners, hey, again, Happy New Year. And uh, we'll be talking to you again soon. Take care.